Parshas Naso, we have the rules of the Nazir. The Nazir is someone who takes a voluntary vow to abstain from wine. There are several halachas that apply to the Nazir. He can't drink wine. He can't become Tameh to a mace, to certain kinds of Tumas mace, Tumas associated with human remains. And he can't cut his hair. Those are the three halachas, three families of halachas of the Nazir. It is purely voluntary. If he takes that vow, then he becomes obligated in these three families of halachas, of restrictions. The rest of the parasha of Nazir is concerned with karbanos. There are two sets of karbanos the Nazir brings. If the Nazir's period of Nazirus that he undertook comes to a normal end without him having become Tameh, then he brings one set of karbanos. He brings the he brings a keves, a, a lamb for an ola, a chavsa, female lamb for a chatas, and an ayel, a ram for a shlamim. And he also brings lechem. He also brings uh, a flour-based carbon. That is one set of carbonus. Earlier, the Torah describes another set of carbonus. If a nazir becomes tameh, he's not supposed to become tameh. But if he becomes tameh, then he has to start counting again. And he also has to bring a set of carbonos before he starts counting again. He becomes tar. He brings a set of uh, he brings a set of he brings a set of carbonos. This time the carbonos are the this time the carbonos are two birds, one for a chatas, one for an ola. And the Torah says the chatas bird is brought the love it shall atone for him measher chata al hanefesh. A difficult phrase to translate measher chata that he sinned al hanefesh. Nefesh means a soul or a person. Not so clear what that means. So he brings, though he brings those two birds, and, the, and he also brings a keves for an asham, a lamb for an asham, and then he starts counting again. When his nazirus finishes, either without any adventures, or he becomes tameh, he brings these karbanos, he's the first, he brings this set of karbanos, he starts counting again. At the, at the conclusion of an uneventful period of nazirus, then he brings the karbanos we mentioned earlier, he brings the, he brings the lamb for an ola, female lamb, a kivsa, kavsa for a chatas, and an ayel for a shlomer. The Mepharshim, beginning with Chazal, are, are struck by the fact that the Nazir brings a chatas. Both a Nazir Tahar and a Nazir Tameh brings a carbon chatas. Chatas is generally a carbon that you bring for sin. Chet, the word chet, carbon chatas. You bring for a sin. What sin exactly did the Nazir do? A Nazir who's tar, who never became Tameh, he certainly doesn't seem to have done a sin. Even a Nazir Tameh, it's not clear exactly what sin we're, being, we're referring to, maybe the sin of inadvertently becoming Tameh. It's not so clear what the, it's not so clear what sin we're talking about. Yes? Um, 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 because he's not drinking wine. wine yes. So Simcha tells us the sin is that he is not drinking wine. That is a famous idea of Chazal. The Gemara in a couple of places, in Baba Kama, elsewhere, the Gemara brings an explanation, what is the sin of a Nazir? Why do we, what does it mean when it says, it says, he sinned with regard to a Nefesh? The words of the Pasuk are, that it says, he sinned regarding a soul. What sin are we talking about? What sin did he do? So, what soul is involved? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Elazar Kapra says, Rabbi Rabbi says, it means that he's tzir atzom and hayayin, he abstained from wine. 
and depriving himself of wine. Wine is a harmless pleasure. Wine can, wine can lead to alcoholism, it can lead to terrible things, but wine in moderation, as the, as the ads say, enjoy, enjoy wine in moderation. Wine in moderation is an innocent pleasure, and it's actually wrong to deprive yourself of, a, of, a, of an innocent pleasure without a good reason. The Gemara derives from that that even abstaining just from the, the pleasure of wine is considered chait. Certainly someone who is, so, certainly someone who, who adopts a voluntary fast as a kind of piety is also, is also misguided. He's, he, he deprives himself of food in general. That is certainly, uh, that is certainly uh, considered chait. And the Gemara Bavakama derives from this derives from this the idea that self-harm is prohibited. Cutting yourself, hurting yourself, injuring yourself without a good reason, that, that, is, that is Asr. The Gemara tries to figure out what the source for that is. One of the sources is from Nazir. A Nazir is criticized as called hate for abstaining from wine, and certainly from abstaining from all food, and certainly from actively causing himself harm, like by cutting himself or anything else like that. The Gemara points out this is, uh, this is a bit odd, because the Pasuka of Me'ashar Chata ala Nefesh is talking about a Nazir Tameh. If the, if the criticism of the Nazir, if the sin of the Nazir is that he, is that he abstained from wine, that's even a Nazir Tar. What does that have to do with Tameh? So the Gemara says, because he has a double period of Naziris, that's why we focus on the fact that now he's, now he's doubly abstained, and, and now, he, now he did two Chatayim, the, the, the sin of the Naziris and the sin of the Tumah. But, but in any event... The, the Iker sin is the depriving, depriving, the Nazir, the, depriving himself of wine. That is, the, that is the sin of Naziris. The truth is, the Gemara in Masechus Tanis brings a dispute. It brings a number of different opinions, conflicting opinions, as to whether Naziris is a positive thing or a negative thing. The Gemara says that Shmuel says, Hayoshe Betanis Nikrachotik. Someone who adopts a voluntary fast day is a chait. That, that is a chote. That's a chait, as per the b'risa that we said. Even depriving yourself of wine is a chait. Certainly fasting entirely is a chait. That's the first opinion. But then Rabbi Elazar says, a different Rabbi Elazar, not the one from the b'risa, he says, Nikra Kadosh. The, the Nazir several times in the parasha is called Kadosh. Kadosh Gadol Pera. A Nazir is called Holy. Just the opposite. Not only is he not a sinner, he's called uh, a, a holy person. And even depriving yourself just of wine, you're a holy person. Certainly, if you fast, you deprive yourself of all food. Allah has kama vakama. Diametrically opposite. Not only is the Nazir not a sinner, he actually is called a Kaddush. Then the Gemara brings a further opinion. Reish Lakish says, Nikra Chassid. He's called a pious person. And if it wasn't bad enough that we have conflicting opinions in the Gemara about whether the Nazir is a Kaddush or a Chote, Rish Lakish said Chassid, and Rashi and Tosus actually disagree as to what he meant. Some say he meant the Nazir is called the Chassid, the, the person who fasts is called the Chassid, and some say it means the person who does not fast is called the Chassid. Rashi says that the person who fasts is called the Chassid. Tosus says the person who avoids fasting, the person who knows not to fast, he's the one who's called the Chassid. So, so, so we can't even, not even clear what, what the Gemara means when it says Chassid. Who's the Chassid? The, the abstainer or the non-abstainer? In any event, we have a variety of different opinions in the Gemara as to whether the, the, the Nazir is a, a Chote, a Chassid, a Kadosh, and so on. The Rishonim have several other explanations for what the, what the Chet, what the Chatas and the Chet of the Nazir is. The Ramban says 
Lonus Parish, the Torah is not very clear about this. The Torah does not tell us what the, what the idea of the carbon chatas is. Al-Derech HaPshat, Al-Derech HaPshat is what the Rishonim say when they're explaining things differently from Chazal. Al-Derech HaPshat, the simple pshat of the Pasuk is, the chait is that he ends his Naziris. The chait is, once he reaches a high level, he, he saw what true holiness is, he saw what Naziris is, what, uh, what, devo- what devoting yourself to Hashem is, and separating yourself from the from the gross pleasures of the world, he reached such a madrega in Kedushan, Avodas Hashem, he should have stayed there. He should have kept uh, to his high madrega. Instead, he's giving it up, but he's going back to being uh, a fleshly person. So, that's wrong. The Nazar is like a Navi. He brings a, he brings a Pasuk in Amos. The Nazar, the Nazar is compared to a Navi. So, the Ramban is following the opinion that we have a favorable view of the Nazar, like the view in the Gemara that he's called the Chassid or a Kadosh. And the Chait is... Not that he's becoming a Nazir, just the opposite. The chait is that he's giving up his Naziris. So the, the Raman is not talking about the, the first chatas, the way he becomes Tameh. The Raman is talking about the carbon chatas he brings upon the termination of his Naziris, that he's now transitioning back to being an ordinary person who uh, indulges in physical pleasures. That's the guy who's called the Chote. He saw what it was, he had a glimpse of holiness and transcendence, and he chose to relinquish it, he chose to just... Uh, to, to abdicate this madrega and go back to being an ordinary person, that's the person who's called the Chote. Another one of the Rishonim, Rab Anshlomo Astruk, he says that... He, he, yes, Simcha has a question. Let's say you're going to be a Nazir for like 30 days, you don't mind. Um, so, um, 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 and Simcha wants to know what happens if a Nazir decides his initial Naziris he only accepted for a set period, like 30 days. But afterwards he decides he can keep going. He wants to continue being a Nazir. Can he simply extend his Naziris or does he have to bring a carbon and then, if he wants, become a Nazir again? But do we say his original Naziris is over and he has to bring a carbon? I don't actually know. That's an interesting question. Another one of the Rishonim, Rabban Shlomo Astruk, I think I saw this, uh, Nechama Leibowitz, and one of her, Gilianot, brought this. He says that when we say the Nazir is, con- is considered a chote, he explains as follows, that Nazirus, uh, abstemiousness, uh, abstaining from pleasure, that's strong medicine. That, like Chazal say, that someone, the, the, the previous parasha in, in our parasha is about sota, and then the, then the, then the Pasuk, say, the, the Torah segues from there to Nazirus. Chazal say, someone who saw the downfall of a sota, he realizes that the powers of, uh, of the power is the, the power that passion has. He realizes ha- that uh, that the flesh is weak and he's susceptible, so he becomes a nazir to avoid uh, to uh, to curb his desires. So, Rabban Shlomo Asterix says that an ordinary spiritually healthy person doesn't need naziris. God designed a person that he can live in this world and he can enjoy in moderation wine. A spiritually healthy person shouldn't need to be a nazir. Someone whose passions are out of control, who realizes that his yetzer is overweening and is threatening to overpower him, he needs the strong medicine of Naziris. But the criticism of this person is, even though he's doing a wonderful thing by checking his passion before it's too late, nevertheless, the fact that he let his yetzer hara grow so, grow, grow so strong and uh, pose such a threat to him, he, that, that already is considered a hate. He shouldn't have let, he shouldn't have let himself get so far. He shouldn't, he shouldn't have let himself fall... Uh, get into such a precarious position that position that he needs the strong medicine of Naziris to, uh, to to fix himself. 
That's the position of Rav and Shlomo Astruk. One final explanation we'll mention. Some of the Balitosvus say, Rabbi Yossi Pacharshar, other of the Balitosvus, they explain that the word chet and chatos in the Torah does not always mean sin. Grammatically speaking, chet, the, the, the word chet means to lack, to, to be deficient, to have a shortfall. The, for example, it, in Shoftim it talks about uh, expert marksmen. It says there were kolea elasara velo yachati. They could, uh, they, they could hurl a projectile at a, at a hair and not fall short, not, not miss, not leave any uh, space between the projectile and the target. So, so, so hate over there doesn't mean sin, it means to miss, to fall short, to be, uh, to be wide of the mark. So the Balitos would say that Lafi Pshuto, again, they acknowledge Chazal explain a little differently, but Lafi Pshuto, they say the hater is not sin. The hater is to fall short, to, to miss something. So a person who deprives himself of wine, he's saying that he's, uh, he's causing his soul to, to miss something, to, 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 have, to have an emptiness, to lack the pleasure of wine, that's what, we, that's what we mean when we say chata al hanefesh, that we mean it's not a sin, but it's a, uh, it's a shortfall. Why do we call it a carbon chatas then? The Mepharshim says something similar about the chatas yoledas. It says that a woman gives birth, she brings a chatas. So once again, what sin did a, did a woman who gives birth do? That's the way of the world. That the Torah wants, uh, wants people to have families, wants men and women to get married and have families. Pru revu, loto bro l'shevetz yitzarah. So Chazal have a famous pshat that the women sometimes, uh, sometimes b- speak intemperately and they take vows that they're never going to have children again, they're never going to have a family life again because childbirth is so unbearable. But again, Pshutu Shalmikra, some of the Rishonim say, as I recall, that the, the chatas yoledes just means that she's missing something, that she, she gave birth. It doesn't, doesn't, not all chatas necessarily means chait. And that's what some of the Balitosas say here as well. Masher chata al hanefesh doesn't doesn't mean chait. It means that it means that the that he deprived his soul of wine. Again, whether, whether they agree that the carbon chatas is still a sin offering and that's considered sinful or not, not entirely clear. But the, the Bali, some of the balitosas say this is close to the drush of Chazal. Um, I do have the, um, the, um, Right. So Simchas bring another pshat and why Ayoletus brings the achatas because of, because the midrash tells us that a baby in utero is taught Torah. But then the, the baby leaves the mother, and the Torah leaves the mother, and the Torah leaves the baby. So that's why you bring a karmel chatas. So there are different midrashim, certainly, but kipshuto, again, there are some who learn that the, the chatas, the, the root there also refers to emptiness. Now she's empty of her child. And here also there, there are some who say that the that chata al hanefesh means that he, his soul was empty, it was empty of pleasure, doesn't necessarily come from the root of chait. Al we have a variety of pshatim as to whether the nazir is a positive thing or a negative thing. What does the Torah mean by chata al nefesh? What is, what is the purpose of the, of the carbon chatas? And, uh, and fundamentally, we have two diametrically opposite perspectives on the Nazir. We have the perspective of some of Chazal and the Ramban, that the Nazir actually is a holy person, 
and he's praised for becoming a Nazir, and he's actually criticized, according to the Ramban, for giving up his Naziris when it's over. We have, a, we have an exactly opposite view that the Nazir is a chote. Hashem doesn't want us to give up, uh, Hashem doesn't want us to give up harmless pleasure, and even if sometimes we need to, that's not an ideal, and, and that itself is, uh, is a problem that we let ourselves we let ourselves become so uncentered that we need this kind of harsh uh, corrective to, to return us to a spiritually healthier place. So we find these two very opposite perspectives on the on, on Nazirus and Chazal and on the Rishon. I want to speak a little bit about drug use. So the Gemara talks about wine, and we find these two perspectives toward wine, wine as a pleasure, it tastes good, and it's intoxicating, that we find traditionally in, in Jewish sources. And in the modern period, the last century or so, we have the question about recreational drug use, marijuana. There are also harder drugs, you know, cocaine and heroin, and uh, all kinds of other uh, nasty stuff. I'm going to focus tonight on marijuana. We're not going to focus on hard drugs, which, you know, which, which are deadly, which can kill you which are uh, certainly problematic from a Torah perspective. The, the harm they cause certainly, uh, can't, certainly can't be justified by whatever benefit they may have for ordinary healthy people. But I want to discuss the question of marijuana. Are there, are there two sides to marijuana? Can we, say mar- can we say that marijuana is a harmless pleasure, just like wine is, according to some opinions in the Talmud? Or is marijuana somehow different? Do we say that even though there were some in the Talmud who had a positive view of recreational, uh, recreation, recreational uh, al- alcohol usage, but maybe, maybe, maybe drugs somehow are different. So, so what is the terrorist perspective on recreational drug use? So the executive summary is that for the last 50, 75 years that Postkim have discussed this, we don't find much literature on the question before about 75 years ago, but for the last uh, half century, three quarters of a century, Postkim other rabbinic figures, have been remarkably univocal, unanimously opposed to recreational drug use. The question is why. The question is why is, the question is why is marijuana, again, the the interesting question is marijuana. Why cocaine is us or is easy to understand because cocaine will kill you. But but the question is something like, like weed, which will not kill you, so the question is, what, what is so bad from the Torah's perspective about marijuana? How does it compare to alcohol? Which, again, alcohol is controversial. Alcohol, we've seen that uh, there are some perspectives in our tradition that say a person is holy and pious if he gives up alcohol. But there are other perspectives that say it's actually sinful to give up alcohol for no reason. It's actually uh, depriving yourself of a harmless pleasure is actually wrong. So why shouldn't that apply to marijuana as well? Why shouldn't we say that needlessly depriving yourself of the pleasure of having cosmic experiences and feeling mellow and so on, why shouldn't we uh, say the same thing, that depriving yourself, lots of people seem to think that it's uh, a wonderful experience. I personally have no direct experience uh, of this, but, uh, but there are people who say that marijuana is quite enjoyable. So why, why can't we apply the same perspective of Chazal that depriving yourself of a harmless pleasure is problematic. Now again, insofar as a given drug, marijuana, or anything else is against the law, that's a whole separate question. You need to respect the law. But again, the question is, what should the law be? More and more states and countries are starting to legalize recreational, recreational, decriminalize, or even legalize 
the use of recreational marijuana. So, so what should the Torah's perspective be? Why, why or why not? Ramosha Feinstein has a noted tshuva on the topic. He talks about some of the young men in yeshiva started to smoke hashish, marijuana. Ramosha says it is obvious that this is prohibited by many fundamental laws of the Torah. Why is it obvious, and what are these fundamental laws? So Ramosha says, first of all, it damages and destroys the body. That is a well-known halachic imperative, is to preserve health, to preserve life, to preserve health, that you need to preserve your uh, bodily integrity. And even if you don't get harmed, he says, it damages the intellect, and, you won't, and it, it'll, your brain won't work as well. You won't be able to learn Torah, he says. Tefillah, Kavana. Certainly you can't learn Torah if your intellect is impaired. And you can daven and do mitzvahs properly, because mitzvahs ideally should have Kavana. Without Kavana, the mitzvah, you might still be Yotze, but the mitzvah is certainly not, uh, not ideal. Furthermore, Ramosha says, you, addiction, a person develops great appetites, even greater than the appetite for food and so on. And, and some people are so uh, overpowered, but become so uh, strongly addicted, they can't control themselves. And that's the idea of a Ben Sora the rebellious son. The rebellious son is stealing from his father to buy uh, meat and wine. He's addicted to his pleasures. And addiction can lead to terrible things. If you can't control yourself, you'll, you'll violate every Avera in order, you'll even kill, the Gemara says, in order to, that, that's what happens today as well. Junkies can sometimes... Uh, kill, commit crimes, even murder to, they're desperate for their next fix so anything that's not necessary and you deliberately addict yourself to it is, uh, is a terrible thing furthermore, Moshe says your parents suffer if you smoke uh, if, if you take drugs a person is obligated to honor his father and mother Kedoshim Tiyu Pasuk Pasha's Kedoshim Kedoshim Tiyu Mepharshim have different explanations for what Kedoshim Tiyu means the Ramban says it means even things that are not expressly prohibited by even things that are not expressly prohibited by a, one of the Tariag mitzvahs, if they're uh, inappropriate and unnecessary, and, uh, and a person is expected to have a higher standard than simply following the letter of the law. Kedoshim tiyu. Ramosha says you violate many other averis as well, and his conclusion is the bottom line is. It's obvious and clear this is among the stringent prohibitions, and one must strive as much as possible to eliminate this impurity from all the children of Israel. The problem with Ramosha's analysis is, as the lawyers say, it proves too much, and the problem is that virtually everything he says is either debatable in terms of the facts or could equally apply to alcohol and tobacco. Now again, tobacco today, many people are as horrified by tobacco use as they are by marijuana use. But tobacco use is something that has been discussed by Poskim for centuries. Discussions of tobacco and halacha go back to the 17th century at least. Those early discussions for hundreds of years were about two questions. They were about, can you smoke on Yom Tov? Uh, we discussed last night the, the question of, uh, of the question of Tzorach Yom Tov. Is smoking considered Ochel Nefesh or Tzorach Yom Tov? And B, can you smoke on a fast day? Shavas Batamos, Tisha B'av, Obviously, can't smoke on Yom Kippur. You can't light fires and so on. But can you smoke on Shavas uh, Bratamas or Tisha B'av? Is that like eating? Is that not like eating? So for centuries, Poskim discussed whether you can smoke on fast days and smoke on Yom Tov. There was no question whatsoever that it was entirely legitimate to smoke during the week. 
Again, they didn't know back then that smoking will kill you, that smoking will, uh, will, the smoking will cause lung cancer and heart disease and increase the risk for stroke, and pretty much any medical form I've ever filled out in my life has asked me if I smoke, because smoking is a risk factor for pretty much everything in the world, apparently. So they certainly didn't know the, the terrible dangers of smoking. But Laura Moshe has other concerns about Kedoshim Tiyu, it's, a, it's something you don't need, and why should you, uh, you know, and, and, and why should you do it? And clearly the postkim didn't feel that way about, uh, about smoking. Today we know it kills you. Today more and more postkim have increasingly said smoking is usher because it kills you. Ramosha himself discusses tobacco smoking as well in a number of chuvas. He never entirely came out and, and forbade it, uh, absolutely. But, but Ramosha did say in one of his later chuvas, Ramosha said that it's minharoi, it's appropriate for anyone, certainly B'nai Torah, not to smoke, because, first of all, because they're starting to realize that it's dangerous, he says, and it's not beneficial, and you don't need it. If you're not, if you're not addicted to it, you don't, need, you don't need tobacco, you're not missing anything, he says. And furthermore, he says that even, even independent, uh, regardless of any question of danger, he says, we should prohibit taking up smoking, he says, because, again, similar to what he says in his marijuana chuva, there's, that you're not allowed to begin indulging a new taiva, something that you haven't had before that you don't need. Adaraba, a person should avoid taivas. Unnecessary taiva and tanug, you should avoid. There's no need for it. So if you haven't smoked, you certainly shouldn't start smoking. But again, tobacco for hundreds of years, the Gedolei Aposkim discussed tobacco on Yom Tov and, uh, Yom Tov and, uh, uh, and Tanios, and nobody ever said it was Oster because it's unnecessary and because it's... Uh, and they knew it was addictive. They didn't know that it kills you, but they certainly knew it was addictive. The Knesset Dola has a very... Rav Chaim ben Venisti in the 17th century has a very vivid depiction of smoking. He's, he's talking about... He feels it's Oster on fast days, certainly Tishabov, and he says it has to be Oster. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's, even, it, it's even more of a pleasure than eating, he says. There are people who, are, who, who happily go without food but they need their tobacco, besides the fact that tobacco might be an appetite suppressant. But beyond that, he says, people can, can, can forego food, they, they, they can't forego tobacco, he says. And even when, the, even when their life is literally in danger, not because it's unhealthy, they didn't know that, but he says even when there were dire government bans on smoking for you know, tariffs or commercial reasons, and your life, was, uh, your life was forfeit if they caught you with tobacco, he says people would still hide and smoke because they were just so desperate for their that was so desperately addicted. He gives a very vivid picture. He under- they understood addiction. They understood that people who were used to tobacco needed it desperately. And still, they did not forbid smoking per se. Until, until Ramosha in 1981 or so, the, the, all these posts who discussed smoking did not think it was prohibited. They, you can talk about Ben Sower Ramora, you can talk about Taivas and Mosros and Kedusha. Nobody ever said that smoking was prohibited because it was an unnecessary pleasure. As we've seen, alcohol. Alcohol has been, uh, has, has been debated for thousands of years, going back to the time of the Talmud. There were indeed opinions in the Talmud, the Ramban, who said that a pious person is one who gives up alcohol. You don't need it, and uh, why indulge it? Why indulge in alcohol? But on the other hand, there were those who said, you're a chote if you give up alcohol. Alcohol, when used responsibly, is harmless. And uh, giving it up without a good reason is chait. I, it's monstrous, you don't need it. Uh, just use it for Kiddush and never else. Why, uh, what happened to Ben Ramora? What happened to the idea that if you don't need it, you, you don't need it, and you shouldn't start indulging in something that uh, you don't need? So I don't know. So again, Ramosha comes down very harshly, very harshly against marijuana, but it is not at all clear 
why marijuana should be so much so different from things like alcohol and tobacco, both of which the, the Masorah for centuries was much more neutral or even positive toward, and why exactly for marijuana Ramosha was suddenly so strict. Ramosha's first point, one of the first points he makes, is that marijuana is very bad for you. Bad for the body, bad for the intellect, damages your body, damages your cognition, damages your, damages your mind, and so on. That, of course, would be a very powerful reason to prohibit marijuana, certainly. The problem is that the facts simply aren't there. According to what we know today, it is far from clear that marijuana has any serious health effects on the body or the mind. For years, they did think that marijuana was bad for, was, was, was bad for your intellect, especially teenage use of marijuana and so on. But they've studied it and studied it and studied it, and the studies repeatedly are either inconclusive or show that, uh, that there isn't any, any long-term damage. Certainly, your intellect is impaired while you are uh, on a marijuana trip, while you're high. That goes without saying. But the same thing is true for alcohol. While you drink alcohol, your intellect is somewhat, uh, your consciousness is altered as well, in a different way, but your consciousness is altered as well. And it is far from clear that marijuana actually has any, any serious, uh, any, any, any long-term or serious damage. There, they, they, there, was, one, there was one study I found very, uh, very interesting, that uh, there was evidence that showed that, that teens who use marijuana had lower IQs than those who didn't. But then they did studies, and they looked at things like twins or kids who were the teenagers who were the same in all respects, except that one used marijuana and one didn't, and they found that the IQ drop was the same. And they therefore realized that in all likelihood it wasn't the marijuana that was the cause of the intellect drop, it was the socioeconomic circumstances that were associated with an increase in marijuana usage, uh, being lower class, being uh, not in school, or whatever it was, that it was actually marijuana might, might have been a confounding factor, but it wasn't actually a, didn't actually have a causal relationship. Anyway, the bottom line is it is far from clear that, uh, that marijuana actually has such negative effects, and it is... Uh, and again, you know, the, the, there's emerging evidence, according to some scholars, it does not erode IQ. We don't know yet. We need to do more studies, as the scientists like to dryly note. Unfortunately, these types of studies are nearly impossible due to federal restrictions. Uh, obviously, that's the way science works. The best way to study marijuana's cognitive effects would be to administer the drug to individuals and see how duration, frequency, and dose affect the brain. But unfortunately, the law doesn't allow us to do those studies, especially on kids. So we're going to have a great deal of trouble getting uh, reliable, solid data on whether marijuana really rots your brain or not. So there's a... Uh, so again, the question is, are the facts there? Are, are the facts, uh, is it really true that marijuana is bad, bad for you and the evidence is far from clear? What about addiction? Ramosha, in both in his marijuana tshuva and in his smoking tshuva, Ramosha makes the argument that addiction is fundamentally anti-terror. That causing yourself to need pleasure, to need something that you previously don't need, is wrong. That's the problem of Benso Ramora. Becoming addicted, becoming... Uh, Needing something that you didn't need before is fundamentally usser. Sir Moshe argues that that's a reason to prohibit marijuana and even to prohibit tobacco use, which is addictive. So we already raised one strong objection to that argument. Tobacco. Tobacco for centuries post-Gim did not forbid tobacco. They, it's pretty clear they understood that it was addictive. They did not feel that was a reason to prohibit it. Furthermore, and this is what I find one of the most fascinating points of the whole discussion, 
marijuana is not nearly as addictive as alcohol is by, by any measure. They, they, they've done studies on what they call physical dependence, psychological dependence. So yes, heroin and cocaine are right up there. Heroin and cocaine, besides the fact that they will kill you, heroin and cocaine are also really addictive. Number three in the list is tobacco. Tobacco is very, very addictive, both in, both in terms of uh, psychological dependence and even in terms of physical dependence. Tobacco is a couple of notches higher than alcohol. Alcohol is several steps, uh, is several steps ahead of cannabis. Cannabis is relatively low as drugs go on the dependence scale. So if you're going to argue that marijuana is addictive and therefore usher, then how on earth can, can you allow alcohol? And certainly how on earth can you allow tobacco? And again, the point is marijuana is not very addictive. It's you know, a little bit addictive. It might be habit-forming in some sense, but it is far less addictive than alcohol and tobacco. Alcohol and tobacco have been, uh, have been, have been tolerated by, again, sometimes ambivalently, but have been tolerated by the Jewish tradition for thousands of years. So it's very hard to make an, to make an objective case on the merits for why all of a sudden marijuana should be ostered because it's addictive, it is when it is a lot less addictive than alcohol and tobacco. Looked at from another perspective, they measure capture rates. You know, I, I guess what percent of people who, who use these substances become addicted. Once again, cannabis is relatively low at 9%. Alcohol is higher at 15 uh, but by, by, by this measure, cocaine and heroin are both worse than them, and tobacco is the worst. Tobacco has the highest capture rate. So again, Postcom today increasingly are prohibiting tobacco as well, largely due to the danger involved. But once again, tobacco was tolerated. Maybe they didn't fully understand how, how addictive tobacco was, but tobacco actually was tolerated by the Postcom for centuries until relatively recently where they began to understand scientifically how dangerous it was. So barring the danger, Postcom did not, do not seem to have felt that, uh, unless we assume they didn't fully understand how addictive it was, but for centuries tobacco was tolerated, for millennia, alcohol was tolerated. Again, alcohol, as we began to share alcohol, we find conflicting opinions in the, in, the, in the Talmud already. Some thought that it's a good idea to abstain from alcohol. Some thought it's a bad idea. But halacha certainly, alcohol is mutter. Not just for Kiddush and Abdullah. A person is allowed to drink. So, it's, again, very hard to understand why an alcohol can certainly kill you. Alcohol, if you, get, if, if, you, if you become an alcoholic, it destroys your liver. Alcohol certainly is also a risk factor for many diseases. And yet, uh, the, the traditional Jewish position has always been that alcohol can, in theory at least, be enjoyed in moderation. And therefore, the halacha does not issue a wholesale prohibition against alcohol. We say that alcohol may be enjoyed, and it goes without saying you should do so in moderation. So the question is, again, why, why do postcom take for granted that marijuana use uh, cannot be enjoyed in moderation? Why is the, why is the, why are the postcom so strict about marijuana? Rav Shlomo Aviner has a discussion of uh, marijuana. He quotes a number of the number of the sources, halachic sources on marijuana. He says, the truth is, it's obvious, he says, we don't need men of science, we don't need men of Torah. We see with our own eyes, we see people trapped in cannabis, people who enter into debt. It's a cruel drug, a drug of death, he says. Happy is he who escapes it. And if a person feels he needs it because he's empty inside, he should cleave to Torah, which is the Sam Chaim, the drug of life. Once again, these are factual questions. I'm sure there are people who are wretched and turn to cannabis as an escape, and there are also apparently people who are not wretched who turn to cannabis as a, uh, as a uh, relatively harmless pleasure. So again, 
I, I personally have very little experience with marijuana, never used it myself, and I don't have friends who I am aware of as uh, using marijuana, so I can't tell you what my own eyes see. All I can tell you is what I read, and uh, the, the conventional wisdom today seems to be that it is far from clear that marijuana has a strong association with, uh, with misery, with death, with injury, with debt, and so on. And furthermore, to the extent that it does, that may be because it's illegal. If you criminalize it, then yes, then people who are involved in it will, 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 will obviously be those who are relatively desperate, relatively reckless, those who are, uh, those who are uh, kind of on the fringes of society. The, the question is, how, what, would, what would marijuana use look like if it was legal? And that, that's obviously an experiment we're just beginning to try as various jurisdictions, as various jurisdictions uh, begin to legalize it. My family, Robert, Israel Reisman, is quoted as saying, marijuana is a nightmare, he says, for us. Marijuana is a stepping stone to hard drugs. There's virtually no return. It's terrible how sad that our society has come to this. So this is, the, this is another objection to marijuana, that independent, regardless of any inherent problems of marijuana itself, it's a, this is the gateway drug theory. This is the, this is the idea that marijuana is a, is a gateway to hard drugs, as, as, as I would certainly concede, hard drugs, cocaine, heroin, and so on, this stuff kills you, this stuff obviously is prohibited. The question is, this itself is... Uh, is a, conven- is, a, is a bit of conventional wisdom that is very unclear whether it is actually true. We're, we're, dealing, we're dealing possibly with a classic fallacy along the lines of post hoc ergo propter hoc, that because something follows something else, we assume it is the cause. It is true that people who end up taking hard drugs have previously taken marijuana. That's because, yes, as you begin to throw off the, the, the shackles of convention and law and uh, civilized behavior, marijuana is less, uh, is less of an extreme step than cocaine. So most likely, if you're going to take drugs, you'll first take marijuana and then take, eventually end up with cocaine. Does that mean marijuana causes cocaine use, or does that simply mean that if you're on a path toward hard drug use, earlier steps on your path will, be, uh, will involve marijuana? Is there actually a causal relationship between marijuana? Does that, does taking, in other words, does taking marijuana actually increase your, the likelihood of you taking of you taking, of someone taking, uh, of someone taking hard drugs. So again, the, as as as, anal- as as analysis of the various studies have, have have pointed out, the studies show correlation without causation. It's uh, yes, if you're gonna if you're gonna start taking drugs, you'll probably start with marijuana before cocaine. But that hardly means that uh, that marijuana leads to cocaine, and therefore it, it is far from clear that marijuana actually has this negative effect as well, that the, the, the connection between marijuana and, and more dangerous drugs is also uh, very much up for debate. Now, despite everything we've said, one could argue, of course, based on something like the precautionary principle, that given that we don't have good studies on most of these questions, that it, it, it really, because, because we can't do the controlled studies where we feed marijuana to a bunch of kids and, uh, and see what happens to them, and do this in a controlled way, because the studies are difficult to come by, um, insofar as, as we don't know yet, you could argue that the precautionary principle should say that we should prohibit these drugs, that we should restrict these drugs. And that, that's, that's a possibility, that insofar as there is a genuine, serious doubt, we simply don't know the effects. Marijuana certainly contains very potent chemicals. It's, uh, it's certainly, uh, the people who take them will be the first to tell you that they take them for a good reason, because there's... Uh, 
powerful stuff going, go, going on when you take marijuana. So anything that has that uh, powerful effect on the brain surely could potentially have negative effects. So one might, be able to, one might argue that the precautionary principle says that until the jury is out, until the evidence is clear, then Sheva uh, al we should avoid taking marijuana. But that's, uh, that, that's certainly a much more, uh, a much more moderate case than the, than the hardline absolutist cases that are made by most of the postkim. Once again, the, the postkim are virtually unanimous on this. I'm not aware of a single postkim who says that recreational marijuana use is fine. Everyone, every rub, every postkim I have read, Pe'echad uh, has said that Judaism has no place for recreational drugs. But I'm just pointing out that, the, so again, the, the, I, 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 for me, this is all academic. I, I have no actual experience with, uh, with what marijuana use actually means in our youth, in our, in our society. And certainly every Rav, every, every prominent public rabbinic figure who has discussed this question, from Rabbi Reisman to uh, Rabbi Chaim Jachter to Rabbi Weider of YU to others, have all said that it is a, uh, that it is a, that it is a real problem. Some of them have actually grappled with the questions I've raised that on, on objective grounds it is very difficult to explain why marijuana is any more problematic than alcohol and tobacco. So, so for example, the, in, in, in the same article in, in the Jewish press where I saw they, they quote Rabbi Reisman about how it's, what a terrible problem it is, so he says that the... where, where he says... He, he, they quote... Uh, the, they quote a, they quote a fellow named, named um, Gluck. First name is founder of Amudim, a, a, a substance abuse uh, organization. I don't, I don't see his first name here. He says we cannot hold alcohol to a different standard than marijuana. Kosher certification agencies must either certify both or neither. There is no middle ground. That he makes the eminently correct scientific point that the. As we said, alcohol and tobacco is actually much more dangerous than marijuana. Tobacco will, you know, definitely kills alcohol, certainly kills people, uh, cirrhosis, people destroy their livers, people uh, drive cars and, and kill themselves and others while, while, while drinking. Marijuana, you can drive a car on marijuana. It's also not a good thing, but there's no question that objectively alcohol and tobacco kills far, far more people than marijuana does. So they're both more addictive. They're both more dangerous, according to the best evidence that we have today. And that's why some have uh, some people involved in substance abuse have said, if kosher agencies are going to allow are going to allow alcohol, then they don't have uh, they don't have a basis to uh, disallow marijuana. If they're going to uh, if they're going to uh, if they're going to ban marijuana, they should ban alcohol as well. There's no middle ground. Truth is, the the OU the OU I don't know if they still do, but at one point at least the OU was certifying medical marijuana. They were certifying different products that had med- medical marijuana in them. And they explained all the, all the possible kosherous issues that could come up. Marijuana, of course, is kosher. It's a plant. Plants are kosher. Outside Eretz Israel, plants are always kosher. But the, but the problem is, they said, there are flavors and additives and processing. And therefore, yes, marijuana, if you purchase medical marijuana, it should have a heksher, and we are going to provide that for you. And the OU explained, they said, some have, uh, have taken issue with us. Some have said that we, uh, we should not certify marijuana because we're somehow giving our imprimatur to marijuana and it's going it's to lead to recreational use of marijuana. But they said, you know, we don't think so, they said, particularly in New York where medical marijuana is so tightly regulated, there are about four dispensaries in the whole state that you can get it from. 
you have to fill out all kinds of paperwork. It's so tightly regulated and controlled that if we certify the, this tightly controlled state medical marijuana, there is no dangerous of it being a, there's no danger of it being a slippery slope toward the legitimization of recreational drug use. But Ray Moshe Elephant of the OU, he disagrees with, uh, with, with uh, Glock of Amudim. He says, and note that as, as, as one of the heads of the OU, he says, OU Kashris, he says that the OU will certify alcoholic beverages and it will not uh, legitimize recreational use of marijuana as they'll, they'll apparently certify medical marijuana. They will not certify, uh, they will not certify, uh, they will not certify recreational marijuana. And Rabbi Elephant explains why, you know, what's the difference? So he says, he says, uh, everything can be dangerous if misused. But moderate consumption of hard liquor is not a moral or halakhic concern. Moderate use of marijuana, he says, is impossible due to its addictive properties. That would be a compelling argument if it were true. The problem is, as we mentioned earlier, marijuana is, object- it is objectively not correct, as far as I understand, to say that, that marijuana is more addictive than alcohol. There is no reason to believe that, mod- that marijuana cannot be used in moderation. So unless, again, unless there is other science, other information I'm not aware of, everything I've read says that marijuana is simply less addictive than liquor, than wine. And therefore, once again, we're left with the question of why, if we're going to, uh, if we're going to come down so hard on marijuana, why do, did our tradition typically not take such a hard line against alcohol? Now, Rabbi Elephant makes another point. He says, it's traditional in our community to have a l'chaim, to have some schnapps. Other, other rabbis have pointed out, forget L'chaim for a minute, but people have pointed out that Kiddush, that, kiddush, that, that we have, uh, we use alcohol in, in, in halachic context. In uh, Rabbi Jeremy Weeder, who's always, uh, always worth listening to, Rabbi Jeremy Weeder says that the difference in alcohol and marijuana, it's necessary to distinguish between them because alcohol is deeply rooted in the Jewish biblical rabbinic tradition, ain't simchel abbasar even when it's not strictly ritual like Kiddush, we say that simcha, halachic simcha, and yomta of simcha in general comes about through wine. So wine is something that's rooted in our tradition, and marijuana is not. But the question is why? The question is, unless we say it's a chok, it's exeris akasuv, if we're following the science, the question is why? Why is, uh, why is wine somehow legitimized as being part of simcha? Of course, yeah, alcohol is terribly addictive. Alcohol has caused tremendous tragedy throughout history, even before the modern... The modern plague of drinking and driving alcohol has destroyed lives. Alcohol has destroyed careers, destroyed families, destroyed lives. And uh, al- alcohol is terribly prone to being misused. And yet the Torah says, uh, the, Torah give, the, the Torah gives us moral agency. The Torah says wine has a purpose. And even though, according to some opinions, if you abstain from wine, you are a kadosh or a chassid, but wine is mutter, and according to some, according to some opinions, it's wrong to, uh, to, to, to give up wine. So again, the, the question remains, why, for thousands of years, why have we had such a tolerant attitude toward alcohol? And when it comes to marijuana, we say, oh, it's not sanctioned by tradition, so therefore it is, it is usr. I guess you can, that can be the beginning and end of it, simply a question of tradition, that you can argue that we can concede that objectively... Uh, there's no objective reason why marijuana is worse. It's just a question of tradition. Alcohol has been part of tradition for thousands of years, and marijuana has not. We, we don't take peyote like some, of the, some other cultures do, that at the end of the day, maybe it's just a matter of tradition. Alcohol, despite the fact that objectively it's, uh, it's deadly and it's uh, devastating and destructive, 
and it has had a place in Jewish tradition for thousands of years, and marijuana has not. Perhaps that's the reason. Not an entirely satisfying reason, but uh, once again, the, this is a conundrum I've wondered about for a long time. Again, just to be clear, I, I have no agenda in uh, pushing for legalization or decriminalization. I think all these things are deeply problematic, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana, and, and drug use. I, I have no brief for uh, any particular political position, but I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just fascinated and puzzled by the everyone taking for granted all, again, virtually every single... Uh, rabbinic figure I've seen, taking for granted that alcohol is acceptable and marijuana is not, and I find it a uh, deeply perplexing question, why? Uh, on, on what objective basis can we argue that, that alcohol is, toler- is tolerable and even a positive thing, and marijuana is unacceptably, un- un- unequivocally bad?